God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. Let's say that together. If you're in the room, uh, let's read the words in red. If you're watching online as part of Church Online, I invite you to, to join us as well as we say this together again this morning. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. Good morning, church. So glad we're able to gather again in this place today. We want to begin again with this confession, with this affirmation that this is who God is, that God is good all the time. Sometimes we say that with hearts full of faith. Sometimes we say that with hearts weighed down with sorrow, as we've already sung this morning. But we say it again, full of confidence that this is who God is, that God has always been good. God has never not been good. He's faithful through the ages, generation after generation, we can look back and we can see the goodness, the kindness, the faithfulness of God. We serve a great God with a great name and a kind heart. This is who God is. And even though seasons change, even though things change, God is always good. And we can see that even in recent days, over this last year, so many things have changed. Uh, the, way, the way we work has changed. The way we go to school has changed. The way we, we do church has changed. Everything has changed. And it, it makes me wonder, I want to lean into this question this morning as we talk about just all the changes that we see around us. Can people change? Do you believe it's possible for people to change? Can people change? I remember this old story this past week. I'm, I'm almost 100% certain you know this story. It's a story about a, a scorpion and a frog. Uh, they're on the side of a riverbank, and uh, the scorpion wants to cross the river. You know this story? So the scorpion looks at the frog, and he says, Will you give me a ride on your back across the river? And the frog looks at the scorpion and says, Are you crazy? I know what scorpions are like. If I let you get on my back, you'll sting me, and I'll die. And the scorpion says, Are you crazy? If I get on your back and you're taking me across the river and I sting you and you die, then I die. I'll drown and we'll, we'll both die. And so the frog is convinced that it's the right thing to do. And so he lets a scorpion on his back and they begin their journey across the river. And about halfway across the river, the scorpion looks at the frog and he stings the frog. The frog begins to die and he looks up to the scorpion as he draws his last breath. It's dramatic, you can tell, right? He's going under the water and he says, why did you sting me? And the scorpion looks at the frog and he just says, it's in my nature. I told that story to my youngest daughter this past week. She says, it's a horrible story. <laughs> and you know what? I think I agree. That is a terrible story. These are not the kind of stories we like to tell. We love stories of personal transformation, stories where, where people change and experience, you know, have life-changing experiences where they were one way, but now they're different, they're, they're better, they've grown, something has changed, and they've, they've become a different kind of person. These are the kind of stories we love. We love to tell stories of hope, not stories of death and drowning frogs and scorpions. These are not the stories we tell our children, apparently, except for me, father of the year here. Um, is it possible for people to change? Can a zebra change its stripes? Can a leopard change its spots? And if people can change, how do people change? And if people can change, then why is it true, or why does it seem true at least, that, that more often than not, people are content to stay the same. People are resistant to change. People would rather hold on to the status quo than change. And if you'll let me push it a little bit further, why is it that for so many churches, we would rather hold on to the way things are? maintain the status quo, and step into change. What if God wants you to change? What if God wants us to change? 
What if God loves you too much to leave you where you are as you are? And what if God loves us too much to leave us where we are as we are? The good news is God can and will change you if you allow Him to. Uh, Last week, we kind of landed on this Simple yet, it's complicated, this idea that that God is faithful to protect you as Christ is being perfected in you. And we landed on this verse in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. I want to share it again this morning with you. If you have your Bibles or your Bible app, I invite you to open up and, and follow along. Paul wrote these words to this church in the ancient city of Corinth. He says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So through every battle, through every heartache, through every difficulty, through every adversity, Paul didn't give up on God. And if anybody ever had a right to give up on God, it probably would have been this man. He'd been shipwrecked. He'd been sick. He'd been put in jail. He had had to face down mobs. He had been left for dead, stoned more than, uh, on more than one occasion. But, but Paul understood this, this eternal truth that through every adversity, through every difficulty, through every circumstance, God was working in his life to transform him, to change him, to make him more and more into the image of God. His, his painted purpose, his struggle had significance. And by the way, Can we just say, thank God that God didn't protect Paul from everything that Paul had to go through? Because of all that he went through, God did something that only God could do through all of that adversity. And because of that, you have half of your New Testament. Paul wrote so many things that we have in our hands today that teach us about the nature of God, the love of God, the identity of Jesus, the desire of of God uh, in the form of Jesus on the cross to display his love, reveal his love to the entire world, what the Holy Spirit does in and through us, what the church is supposed to be all about. We have all of that. They They didn't come about except that. Paul never gave up on God. Through every adversity, through every hardship, Paul understood that that God was working in him and through him to do something that only God could do. And Paul allowed that work to happen, to change him, to transform him, to make him more and more into the image of Christ. And as, as he journeyed through all of that, he was so gracious to write down so much of what he learned, to share with the church for generation after generation, to say, by the way, this is what God is like. And oh, by the way, God wants to transform you Two, which begs the question, how does that happen? How did, how did God work in Paul's life to transform him more and more to the image of Jesus? And how does God work in your life and my life to transform us more and more into the image of Jesus? Today I want to suggest three ways, and I don't often do this kind of thing, but I want you to hang in there with me today. I want to, I want to move through three ideas. If you have a pen or you have your notes app, you may want to jot these down. They're in the, the app as well if you want to see them there. But I want to suggest three ways that you and I are transformed more and more in the image of Jesus. And the first is this, transformation happens through beholding. Again, Paul writes, and we all with unveiled faces contemplate. Literally the word there is behold. The Lord's glory. And we are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory. 
If you just read this verse, you didn't read anything before, you didn't read anything after it, you might look at it and think, what in the world is Paul talking about? What is he talking about unveiled faces? I don't know about you. I, I, don't, I don't wear a veil. I've never worn a veil. Don't know much about wearing a veil. But we do live in a world where I've learned a lot about wearing a mask, and I think we can all agree with that. You may not be looking forward to a day where we all have unveiled faces, but I'm sure all of us are looking forward to the day when we have unmasked faces. Can I get an amen? That's, that's something we're looking forward to, right? Paul says right here, all of us with unveiled faces contemplate or behold the Lord's glory. He's reaching back here into an ancient story from Israel's history when Moses went up on the mountain, Mount Sinai, to meet with God. Moses had, had ascended the mountain to meet with God, to get the word of God for the people of God, the Ten Commandments. And when he went up to the mountain the first time, he came down with those Ten Commandments and he saw the people at the base of the mountain. And there they are worshiping. The only problem was they weren't worshiping God. They weren't worshiping Yahweh. They weren't worshiping the God who had just delivered them from hundreds of years of slavery in Egypt. No, they're worshiping a golden calf, an image, an idol they had made with their own golden jewelry. Moses, after having seen all that God has done, after having spent all this time on the mountain with God, now coming down with the word of God for the people of God, sees the people worshiping something of their own creation, you can just imagine, filled with rage, he takes those Ten Commandments and he smashes them on the stones beneath his feet at Mount Sinai. He leads the people through repentance. And then Moses ascends the mountain again for a second time to meet with God. So if you've ever doubted, just a quick time out, if you've ever doubted the goodness of God, the graciousness of God, the kindness of God, the fact that his mercies are new every morning, the fact that there's nothing you could ever do to make God love you less. Just look at this story and be reminded that our God is the God of second and third and fourth and one million chances. Moses ascends the mountain again to meet with God, to get the word of God again for the people of God. And I want to pick up that story, just a few verses in Exodus 34, verse 28. Moses remained there on the mountain with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. And all that time he ate no bread and drank no water, and the Lord wrote the terms of the covenant, the Ten Commandments on the stone tablets. When Moses came down Mount Sinai carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. So when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. So Moses comes down the mountain and his face is radiant. After having been in the light of the presence of God, Moses comes down the mountain after those 40 days and 40 nights. And the Hebrew word there for radiant is literally this, this word that says, that means light, streams of light are shining forth from his face. So much so that the people are afraid to look at Moses. And if you keep reading, Moses literally has to wear a veil, not a mask, a veil to cover his whole face so the people won't be afraid to come near him. The only time he removes the veil, the only time, is when he goes back into the tent of meeting to meet with God again face to face. Or whenever he comes out of that tent of meeting with the word of God so he can speak the words of God, the instructions of God to the people. 
Other than that, Moses wears this veil so the people won't be afraid to come near him. And now Paul is saying, because of Jesus, everything has changed. In fact, if you go back to 2 Corinthians 3 and you back up just a few verses from where we read just a moment ago, in verse 14, Paul writes this, this veil, he says, can be, can be removed only by believing in Christ. But what Paul is saying is that right now, right here, the situation in this church in Corinth, in the city of Corinth, there's all kind of people walking around with a veil covering their face, not because they've spent time in the presence of God. This is a different kind of veil, a veil that blinds them from seeing and reflecting the glory of God. But that veil, that veil that represents blindness, that veil that is, that is keeping them from God can be removed. This is how? By believing in Jesus. And whenever you believe in Jesus, whenever you confess him as the Lord and Savior of your life, Paul says this veil is removed so that now you can see and reflect. You can behold the glory of God. Believing removes the veil. But believing isn't, it isn't the end all. It, 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 isn't, it isn't what we're going for. So many times we've made believing you know, the, the whole thing. Just believe in Jesus, be baptized, and, and you're good to go. That's, that's not what Paul's going here for here. But believing is, is, not, is not the sole purpose of, of everything we're striving for. Uh, believing and confessing Jesus Christ, your baptism, it's not the end goal. It's the very beginning of where life begins. And so Paul writes right here, when you believe and you confess that Jesus is Lord, that veil is removed so you can step into the presence of God and you can behold His glory. You can contemplate what God has done for you through Jesus at the cross, but it's not just beholding. Spending time over time with God is crucial to your transformation, but it's not just beholding. If you want to be transformed into the image of Jesus, I want to suggest you need to behold the glory of God, but you also need to fast. Moses remained there on the mountain with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. In all that time, he ate no bread and drank no water. Moses was able to behold the presence of God by withdrawing from the world so he could be with God and by fasting from the things of the world so he could rely on fully and completely and totally on God. As far as I can tell, everyone changes. As far as I can tell, everyone is being transformed into something by something or by someone. And as far as I can tell, transformation always has to do with attachment. You are being transformed by whatever you're attached to. So if you want to, to know what you're, what you're being transformed by, just ask yourself, what am I attached to? What are you attached to? That's what you're being transformed by. The reality is we don't, we don't talk a lot about, about fasting. But, but I want you to know that your elders and your ministers, your shepherd and staff over the last 21 days have been fasting and praying for you. Over the past 21 days, every day we've been reading Scripture together. 
We've been praying together. And we've been fasting together for, for this church. And I want to let you know that as we've spent time talking and reflecting on this experience, especially on what it's like to fast, there's been some common themes that have kind of risen up in our conversations. You know, whenever, whenever you decide to fast from something, what you're deciding in that moment is, I'm going to detach from that so that I can reattach to God. I'm going to turn away from relying on this so I can learn to fully rely or more fully rely on God. So when you decide to, to fast from food, then, then you're reminded of just how attached you, know, you are to food. How, how available and accessible food is to you. How you, you meet that need for hunger, both in healthy and unhealthy ways. How readily available food is to you at all your mealtimes. And anytime you want a snack, you have access to these things. And every time you reach for that or you want for that, instead you turn to God. And it reminds you of the unparalleled opportunity you have to rely on God and be transformed by God. When you turn away from that desire for food and every time you feel those hunger pains, instead you turn toward God. So some, some of our elders and ministers fasted from food. Others fasted from, from different things. One of those things was technology. If, if you want to try this spiritual practice, I, I would encourage you to do this. Just go to your phone and look at that screen time report that's available there on your phone. Everybody has this ability to look at your screen time report. Just go ahead and look at what are those top two or three apps you spend the most time on. And if you're brave enough, delete them. Some of you just got a little, little withdrawal just thinking about that idea, right? Delete them for a week or two weeks or three weeks. And every time you reach to click that app, which you will, you've trained yourself to do that very often. Instead, turn to God. Turn to the Word of God. Pray for God to change you, transform you. Pray for God to change your family, transform your family. Pray for God to change this church, transform this church. Instead of relying and turning to that, that app or whatever it is that you so often look to, instead, look to God. We don't often talk about the spiritual practice of fasting, but there, there is real gold here in learning to turn away from the things that we are so often attached to and instead turning to God to learn to be fully reliant on Him. If you want to be transformed more and more into the image of Jesus, that doesn't happen by accident. It happens when you take time to sit in the presence of God at the feet of Jesus and you behold Him. It happens when, when you take time to turn away and detach from the things of this world, the things that you've come to rely on, and instead turn to God and strive to hunger and thirst after Him. Strive to rely on Him and only on Him. But it also happens. In fact, I would say it can only happen when you learn to surrender to His Spirit. Scott McKnight wrote this in his book, Open to the Spirit. He said, The surefire test to know the Spirit is at work in your life is observable change as you grow towards Christ-likeness. Moses comes down from the mountain and his face is literally changed from having spent time beholding and spent time fasting. He is completely and totally and forever changed. And then Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 3.18 again, and we all with unveiled faces contemplate 
the Lord's glory, are being transformed into the image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Can a zebra change its stripes? No. Can a leopard change its spots? No. Can people change? Here's the deal. And you know this is true. You can't become who God wants you to become on your own. You can't do it. The only way you can become who God wants you to become the only way you can become who God intended you to become is through the power, the transforming power of His Spirit at work within you. A couple of weeks ago, my kids um, found an old uh, VHS tape of me from like over 20 years ago. Turns out we have one VCR left in the house. And it was hilarious. They had such a desire to watch this videotape, they wanted to uh, hook the VCR up to the TV. By the way, it doesn't stream. There's no way to stream from your VCR to your TV. There's no HDMI cables. They had to go find, we had to find these, you know, red, white, and yellow cables that attached to the VCR and then to the TV. It was just, uh, it was fun trying to figure that part out. And then what was even more fun was watching them try to put this VHS tape. How does it go in a VCR? It's huge. How does it fit? Which way do you turn it? How does this work, right? They finally got all that figured out, and it was just hilarious to watch that happen, but then I stopped laughing when they pushed play. (laughs) If you want to experience humility, just watch a videotape of yourself from 20 years ago. This grainy video footage popped up on the TV screen. They started laughing, and I stopped. Um, It reminded me, though, how much people change. I've changed a lot over 20 years. Chances are you've changed a lot too over the years. The question really isn't, can people change or do people change? People change. The question is, how do you change? And what are you becoming? What are you being transformed by? And what are you being transformed into? This really is the only question. And if you want to be changed, if you want to be transformed more and more into the image of Jesus, and I hope you do, the only way, the only way to experience that kind of change, that kind of transformation, is to spend time over time in the presence of God, beholding. The only way to experience that kind of change, that kind of transformation, is to detach from the things of this world, and to remember and to relearn how to fully rely on God. And the only way to experience that kind of change and that kind of transformation is to surrender your life wholly and completely to the Spirit of God. Not only is God faithful to protect you as Christ is being perfected in you, but God is faithful. God is faithful to change you, to transform you as His Holy Spirit is at work within you. So today or sometime this week, I would encourage you to get into a quiet place and just ask yourself these three questions. First is when can you spend time beholding this week? When can you find some uninterrupted time in your schedule to spend a few minutes alone with God? 
in such a way that you can do that over and over and over again in the days and the weeks to come. Two is what can you detach from? What can you detach from so you can more fully rely on God? What do you need to turn away from so you can turn towards God? And third is this, what do you want the Spirit of God to do in you? Because asking that question and answering it means that you have to surrender to the Spirit to do something in you. So what is it that you want the Spirit to do in you? How do you want to be changed? How do you want to be transformed? The good news is that God is faithful to change you and transform you and to make you more and more into the image of His Son. If you will allow His Spirit, if you will surrender to the work of His Spirit in your life. Church, if you would, let's stand. I know we're living in a world where everything is changing. I also know, on a very fundamental level, we're terrified of change. We don't like it when things change. We don't like it when the world changes. We don't like it when our, our, our city changes, when school changes, when work changes, when church changes. We, don't like, we, we just don't like change. We're resistant to change. There's something about us. But what if we, as a church, decided that this is our heart's desire. That both individually and collectively, we want to be transformed. We want to change. We want to become more and more like Jesus. What if we believe that this is true, that the Lord, our God, is God. He is the faithful God who keeps His covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes His love on all those who love Him and obey His commands. What if we believe that was true? And if that's true, then we have nothing to fear. One day we will all be changed in the twinkling of an eye. One day, when Christ returns, we will experience His glorious presence. And on that day, I will personally guarantee you will never regret one moment you spent beholding Him. One day you spent fasting. One thing you surrendered in this life to become more like Christ. And when that day comes, church, I pray that we'll sing this song we're about to sing. It's a glorious day. Every day is a glorious day when we turn towards God to become more like His Son, Jesus Christ. Let's sing.